0: Welcome to Hope Ahead, where we share stories of help and hope for people facing addiction and mental health challenges right here in our community.
1: Hope Ahead is brought to you by the Virtue Center, and I'm your host, Caleb Klusmeyer.
0: And I'm Carol Bauman.
1: Today's music is provided by King Pink, a band from Oklahoma City. Today is our second episode in our recovery month series in our mission to smash the stigma.
2: Because I'm getting old.
1: Today we have Ann Benson with Parents Helping Parents. Ann, do you want to introduce yourself?
3: I'm Ann Benson. I am a board member on the Norman chapter of Parents Helping Parents. I'm also um, also have a master's in social work. I'm involved in some other initiatives as well, including I currently work for Partnership to End Addiction, which is a national nonprofit uh, based in New York, but we serve families all over the nation who have a loved ones struggling with substance use disorder. So I talk to parents who call in or want to text. I also am involved in an online support community meeting they host, which is a weekly meeting which I co-facilitate online. And then I first got my foot in the door with them uh, being trained as a parent peer coach. So I do parent coaching through them as well.
1: That's really cool. I didn't know a lot of that about you. So you're involved in a bunch of different stuff. I am. That's really cool. I am. Yeah.
3: Lots of facets.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So today we are starting our series for Recovery Month. We're going to be talking with a bunch of our partners within the community and people that we refer people to and also people who we get referrals from. Um, so, obviously, today we have Ann Benson from Parents Helping Parents. And, Ann, do you want to get a little bit into um, what started the journey? What started this motivation to? Uh, you know, start helping people and families who, you know, come into contact with substance use disorder?
3: Well, that's a really good question. And, you know, to be honest, like for most of us, it was a journey that kind of unfolded through lots of twists and turns. I certainly didn't have it planned. Although I think somewhere in my background, I always felt like At at my heart of hearts, I'm a social worker at heart, so this kind of gave me the opportunity to discover that about myself, but basically my day job, which I had for um, 29 years, I worked for a local architecture firm. Uh, I'm an architect, a licensed architect, so had a totally other day job. But in the course of raising my family, um, one of my uh, children started to, in his teen years, really um, take some some unexpected turns that I didn't quite understand what was happening, and um, we, we spent a lot of time trying to figure out what was, was going on. Eventually, we came to realize he was starting to struggle with substances. And so um, that kind of set me on another journey. And uh, the Virtue Center, um, uh, at that time, now this has been about... Um, 17 years ago. So this is this is a long unfolding journey. But I um, uh, had a program, which I understand they still have a, a form of, which was an alternative to suspension program. So when my son had some issues with um, school, um, my husband and I had, and our son had their first our first experience at an intervention of sorts here at uh, the Virtue Center. Um, so we attended a, a class here, and there was a lot of great information, but I think in some form or fashion, none of us were quite ready to absorb and hear a lot of the information that was put before us, mostly our own denial. Certainly, you know, some shame and some not um, seeing what was in front of us and really believing what we were seeing what was there. But it, again, it was our first experience with, with the type of intervention. It kind of gave us some new information. One of the most powerful things I think came from it is I started to sense my own isolation and that I needed to um, find a community of other good-loving parents like me who were struggling with their kids so I could start to learn from the experience, strength, and hope of of others.
0: And that's the piece we really want to get to because we understand that addiction and mental health challenges um, affect more than just that person. And so your journey is really about you and how it affected you. And although you're walking alongside your son this whole time, there's just this other road.
3: Correct. That's correct. I was feeling more and more isolated. I was feeling very out of control and a little bit of of hopelessness um, because I was used to being able to, Uh, address problems, you know, I do this in my work life or my home life, address problems, implement corrective solutions and see outcomes. None of that was working (laughs) in this situation. So I started to realize maybe I needed to be open and willing to learn some other things and I felt this sense that part of it was I needed to connect with other families that I couldn't just look to my son to make changes. I needed to be a, 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 a influence to to um, to help with that change. And that perhaps you know, in this, I was so focused on him, but perhaps I needed to make some changes. Which too. is so
0: different than denial, which I think Correct. many parents fall into.
3: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, our world is, you know, we have this plan for our beautiful children and what their lives will be. And when these things start to happen, it's not in the plan. And we really do go through a lot of a grieving process, and having to let go of certain things that we think are the priorities. And so it, it really, you know, it's hard for us to let go of those. So we put up a lot of defenses to, um, to keep from having to look at those things. So when I was um, at, at the program here at the Virtue Center, um, I did ask, um, isn't there any resource specifically for parents that can support me and help me? And it was through this Agency. I found out about Parents Helping Parents, which is the uh, nonprofit I am still connected with. At the time, they were only in Edmond. That was their original um, start of their organization. Was a group of Edmond parents that said. We, you know, we have to start meeting together and trying to um, talk about our, our journeys, our struggles, and think about resources and support. So I found out about them. They had a website. I looked at the website, and I felt really connected, but I didn't, I wasn't ready to reach out. Because when you reach out, that's like acknowledging this is real, and until you actually do something, when, when you're still in your ambivalence, like this is real, no, it's not, it's fine, no, it's not, which is the same thing our loved ones go through in their stages of change um, with recovery. Um, it can still not be real. And so it really, you know, there's kind of a long story of the catalyst that kind of pushed me forward. But eventually, I was, I was ready to reach out and connect, and that's a very courageous, brave step for any parent or for any person in you know struggling themselves. You know, I, I like to say, you know, our, our loved ones they have a drug of choice that they become obsessed with and are, are chasing. For families, our drug of choice becomes our obsession with our using loved one. We became, we become every bit as obsessed. It. Yes, yes, and and we go through all the same. You know, we're we're so busy looking at everything happening to them, we fail to appreciate. Oh my gosh, we're on the same spiral. It, it, you know, yeah, the they're very not the thing. only
0: one struggling and spiraling, and things are completely falling apart.
3: Right, right. Their friends are changing. Our friends are changing because you know it's it's too hard to be around all the, our, our, you know, we realize a lot of our connections to our friends have to do with our kids and we sit there and talk about how great they're doing and that works really well until, you know, your friend's child's going to Yale and your child's living on the streets, you know, it's, it's very hard. Um, so, um, you know, we isolate. And that very isolation is the very thing, both for somebody who's struggling with addiction or, in our journey, keeps us toxic. So breaking that is so important. And, and it's, it's why it's so important. An agency like the Virtue Center is here that can be a really wonderful, um, easy place to go in a loving unjudgmental place to um, get some help and to restore hope
1: I really like a lot of the stuff that you touched on and and I mean you described perfectly like the family dynamic and like I've had I say the opportunity like it's a good thing but I've had the experience of being on both sides of the fence of that you know being the person with a substance use disorder but also being you know the person The codependent person, you know, Mm -hmm. the person who's (laughs) so obsessed with the other person and fixing them um, or wanting them to be fixed and trying all these different things. And I think um, so many times, or I say so many times, so often um, the substance user oftentimes gets this mindset of it's only affecting me, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like, leave me alone, like I'm doing this to myself. And, And that is... You described a perfect example of that's not true. It affects everybody, you know, that is in that person's life. Right. Um, in some way, shape, or form. Um, so my next question to you is, do you want to tell me a little bit about parents helping parents and, like, what you guys do and what you guys' mission or goal is in, their, in the community?
3: Sure. Um, thank you. Yeah, we kind of rose, as, as you know, I, w- I was saying, we started in Edmond in 2001. We kind of grew, we, 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 we developed organically out of a need that wasn't otherwise being met. Parents were saying, we're, we, we have this need, we, you know, this really isn't working for us. It's not out there, so we're going to create it. So it kind of took hold. And um, in um, our mission, basically, we are parents. We actually have a, a paid executive director now, but everybody else on the team are volunteers. So we are parents, um, and and mostly, you know, we're just doing this because we we get it. It 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 works and i kind of love the um, well it's part of the 12th step which is um, we you know we're going to we're going to take the hand of the person in front of us and behind us on the journey and everybody's stronger so our mission is just we we've gotten help we are going to connect to others and how we do that we have we, it's kind of threefold it's through education resources sharing resources and peer support so we have meetings um and and before i describe more of that let me just say um in 2004 um the organization got an opportunity to expand chapters and that's when we brought our chapter to norman so you know we we were my husband and i were driving to edmund and they said to us would you like to um develop a chapter in Norman. And of course we were like, no, (laughs) we just want to, you know, get help. We're, we're not, you know, we're deer in the headlights. We, you know, but they, they really encouraged us and we started very small and we met at a local restaurant and we started to gain some, um, some, some momentum there. And at some point we realized we were ready to start reaching out to other community partners like the schools the police the you know lots of community partners and early on we realized if we were really going to develop that kind of collaborative environment we had to make sure we were never pointing fingers at somebody else like this is the this is the schools it's their problem this is the police you know th- th- blaming is is um is is part of um when we are struggling with addiction um when we're not in recovery it's really easy to blame everything else it's hard to look at our own peace it's hard to look at ourselves and so we blame and we that's another thing we kind of absorb from our toxic loved one we get in this blaming mode so we tried really hard to set a a collaborative spirit in Norman and we feel like that has really done us well um, since then Tulsa has developed a chapter as well and Oklahoma City has a chapter um, as well so we're looking at other communities too we've had a couple other chapters that developed along the way we tried to do a more rural chapter in Paul's Valley Um, that area. But again, we're dependent on volunteer um, um, and and donated time. And it's hard because people's lives get busy, things change. And, you know, it really takes a lot to kind of be there and to realize, you know, a lot of people can use this and are, are hurting. But it takes some courage to actually connect and and reach out so so anyways back to so our our structure is basically threefold we all our chapters we host meetings um twice a month and we're now most of our chat well Edmund has gone back to in person but the rest of our chapters are are still meeting online we're we're an online format in norman And um, so we bring in, you know, we are not the experts. We are parents. We have our experience, but we are not the experts, and we never presume to tell somebody what to do. That is not our role. Um, But we want to expose people to professionals in our area so they can connect they can learn about Here's a bit more about the services offered at the Virtue Center They offer walk-in screenings
0: from 9 to 5 Monday through Thursday Those in um, crisis or for those who have made the decision to get help will meet with a clinician within 30 minutes The Virtue Center is a non-profit agency that offers services from just $3 based on a sliding scale and also accepts senior care Adolescents receive services at no
3: cost You have no idea where to go and what to do and what the resources are. And there's amazing resources right in our communities, but people don't know about them. And you really need to talk to other parents and other families that have access resources to really understand that network. So, you know, we we have, I mean, if you come to our meetings, um, we have tons of pamphlets and brochures and business cards and we just collect all these resources and it's just this amazing network that is is there and you know people walk in and see that and you just hear, you just see them and hear them take a, a breath because up until then they just thought I, I have no options I have nowhere to go and here's all this amazing. I think that's network. the thing we hear
0: over and over and over. Is mm-hmm. there's nowhere to go? Right. Who do I call? What do I right. do? Right. Um, when in reality, there there's a wealth of information yes. and resources. And earlier, you painted a picture um, of your reality that is unseen unspoken by closest friends and family members and parents helping parents allows true connection outside of the professionals. Yes. You know, because you just think in that darkness of being lost already and nowhere to go, your only hope is to get help by a professional when um, connection with other people who have experienced or are experiencing exactly what you're going through um, away from treatment centers and and the judgment that's out right. there, um, and, and the unknown, that's sometimes like the most solid anchor right you can have. And I think that's what's so amazing um, that what parents helping parents does is it just really allows for that organic connection um, and support that so many people need, but. Are
3: afraid to get So important I mean we go We've been doing that. My husband Hugh and I Have been doing this a while And you know People kind of recognize that we do this and and even that that was a you know at first we were very you know we were very kind of um private about all of it too we've gotten to be more advocates over the years and people recognize some of our advocacy but people come up to us all the time with you know um you know stories like i'm you know i have a loved one struggling and and you know we're we're a really soft interface because we're a parent and sometimes it you know to walk through the doors of an agency even a wonderful welcoming agency is a whole different level so we're a very soft interface and i think the other thing is that that whole magic of peer support is we need to be validated. We need, as parents, to, because we can easily go to this place like, oh, my gosh, is this our fault? Did we not send our child to enough camps? Did we not read enough bedtime stories? Did we work? Did You know, there's always something that's like, why are we, where did we fail? And this is, you know, this is a very shame-based disease if we let it, um, take hold of us, and it's really freeing when we start to, through lots of ways that we heal, to um, to recognize we are not perfect parents. None of us are. You know, we we um, you know we have we we do things right. We do things that are not always, you know, maybe the best thing in retrospect. But we love our children it, when they're in trouble. We rally and we will do anything to help them. And for us to take this on like this was our fault is not helpful either to them or to us. So, you know, part of our own recovery in this is to be at peace that we do the best we can as parents with what we know at the time to do. And, and that's perfectly fine. And then we, you know, we move forward with additional information. And maybe had we known all that information sooner, it wouldn't have been the right time to know it anyway. So we just have to be at peace. Recovery is very much that kind of being at peace with, I'm, you know, I'm going to know what I know when I know it. And um, so those should have, could have, would have. Or that future tripping, you know, what's going to happen, all this fear that floods in, you know, is, is equally destructive. So just like for somebody in recovery themselves, w- you know, we're practicing this being fully present, staying in the day, taking things a step at a time, not, um, you know, not, not letting all that fear flood in from the future not letting all those should have could haves from the past, that gets in the way of recovery, both for our loved one and for us. So we model that in what we hope for our loved one too. And so I think that that sense of community, that we're, you know, we've created this space where we're with others that truly understand our journey and our walk because they share it. That's another way. That is super important for us in our recovery as parents, equally as important for our loved ones that are struggling. Everybody wants to feel like we're surrounded by those who truly understand us and can be there to support us. So that's what we create in Parents Helping Parents. And um, it's just such a beautiful community when people walk through the doors and feel validated and And feel like they really have a a place where people understand. So that support component, probably out of everything, is the most important piece.
1: I really like <clears throat> um, several of the things that you touched on, but um you were talking about, I think you were referring it to it, you know, kind of like, 12-step programs, the 12-step, you know, um, togetherness. And it's interesting because also the way the 12 steps are worded is it's our, we, you know, and mm-hmm. and um, it's togetherness. And, right. And that's something that was always, you know, beating my head at the, at, the, at the beginning of my journey on recovery is this is a we program, not an I program. Mm-hmm. And I can't do this by myself, you know, and, and that just, you know, uh backs this you know the stuff you're talking about with the hey where the feeling of togetherness mm-hmm. there's something about that that um is you know calming and you know s- encourages people that you know okay I, c- I can get through this and it can get better and right. you know there's people that have gone through that situation and you know and now they're you know you're also talking about acceptance you know mm-hmm. and that's a huge like you were saying a huge part of recovery is um, you know, things in this moment are as exactly as they should be, mm-hmm. and you know, me having to accept that, um, and you know, I have to stop trying to play God, right? You know, <laughs> and just accept things for how they are in this moment. You know, it's like the Serenity Prayer. You know, yeah. accept the things I cannot right. change. The courage to change the things that I can. You know, right. Um, and knowing the difference between the two because I will make myself crazy thinking that I can change something that I can't think and a lot of times like you're talking about that's someone else right <laughs> that is right. that person that I am obsessed with and the codependency is playing into right um, right so and yeah. having
3: that permission to not have to have it all figured it out <laughs> yeah you know figured yeah. out it's like you know somebody said um, that in one of our circles you know you're You're in the God spot, but without God's power. So it's okay not to have, you know, every piece of this figured out. It's okay to just take this a step at a time and to really, as you said, you know, the the 12 steps um, start out about I and end with we because addiction is a very... You know, I want what I want when I want it. So our healing, either, you know, for people themselves who are um, working to um, do their own recovery or for us as families, is to get out of that, oh my gosh, I'm isolated, everything's about me, and to to get back our social um, self, because that's a very healing um place of wellness. Yeah. So yeah.
1: There's a cheesy saying that um, you know, my my head is like a bad neighborhood. I don't want to go in there, you know, by myself. And but it's true and like you keep talking about <laughs> isolation and doing it on your own and that fear, you know, and um just you know, not knowing what to do, knowing where to go and, you know, things are so much easier. It's it's like what I You know, whether it's people in my personal life in recovery or clients, you know, a lot of times, you know, I'll ask the question, well, are you talking to people about it? And they're like, well, no. And it's like, well, have you tried talking to people about it? Mm -hmm. And there's something about just putting it out there and it loses some of its power and relating to people and understanding you're not the only person going through this.
3: Right. At at our, um, well, we are, um, you know, part of what's really, beautiful about what we're doing at Parents Helping Parents, too, we have the opportunity to collaborate with other kinds of um, family organizations. And until recently, I did my master's in, I graduated in um, 2013, and I did my my master's project on looking at the, um, the impact of family support. Uh, organizations like parents and I really looked at parents helping parents it was really hard even back then to find a lot of studies and data on the 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 family component you know there's a lot of things that focus on the individual but understanding you know you can't just um, address addiction in a vacuum even if you're putting amazing recovery resources in front of somebody who's struggling, if you're not addressing the family situation and helping them with healing, they are gonna come back to all that toxicity because like we said, we get there over time and adapt those dysfunctional roles, trying to, you know, create a, a, you know, to support the dynamic, so, so one thing we have um, done is we built a collaborative relationship with uh, Partnership to End Addiction, um, it, which is the national organization. And actually for me, it kind of started, I was tabling at an event on behalf of Parents Helping Parents, and I had had my, my table out there with my information, and the keynote speaker was from uh, Pittsburgh, and he he walked by and he said, "I need to connect you with this um, person who has a family organization in in Pittsburgh." And it has been really amazing to find, uh, you know, all these organizations like Parents Helping Parents are springing up on their own organically in different locations around the nation and probably worldwide, too, of course, because of just that need. But we're doing it independently, and we're not connected. So I ended up um, connecting with this person who had a a similar organization in Pennsylvania, and she was the one that told me that uh, she had trained as a parent peer coach under um, partnership to end addiction, which at the time what, what, it, uh, the name has evolved because it it merged with another organization, but basically it's been around since the '80s, where it was Partnership for Drug Free America, um, and it it merged with another organization in New York, which is a big research um, Casa, Casa Colombia, which um, the the two organizations merged and now they're partnership to end addiction. But what's so cool about the whole organization too kind of like what we're doing here in Oklahoma is they get it. They get, you know, we 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 need to treat the family system. We really need to put some focus not just on the individual struggling but the family system. So so what what ended up happening is um, I found out I could be trained as a parent peer coach under their program. So that happened in 2015. Two of us from Parents Helping Parents went up to Chicago, actually, and we trained under this amazing program. Then the next year, 2016, because we had such a great relationship with the state, Um, We were sharing everything we were doing with the Oklahoma Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse Services. And they said, wow, this looks like an amazing program. We want to train some parent coaches here in our state. So they allowed that to happen in 2016. So we had a a whole group of, of Oklahomans who trained under that program that year. And and that is just we have maintained that collaborative relationship. Um, when when parents in our state are interested in working one on one with the coach, um, they they you know we help them connect to that resource. It would be really hard for us on a state or local level to invest that kind of infrastructure in that program. It's very um, you know it it it's it's a rigorous. Um, program with a lot of clinical oversight and things. But we're able to attach on to a larger organization and and provide this opportunity for Oklahomans and people that access through Parents Helping Parents. And all this is free. All these resources that are offered with um, Partnership to End Addiction are, are free. So, you know, we take away all those reasons as parents we're like, no, I'm, you know, I, I don't have the time. Well, all these are online and by phone and are very time friendly. I don't have the extra money. Well, this is free. So, you know, we're gonna look for reasons not to <laughs> not to move forward. So we're taking away all those things that we naturally kind of point to first. So, so that's really exciting too, to have that kind of collaborative relationship with a larger entity that and, and, and they have a roundtable that they host around the nation that now we're part of Parents Helping Parents is part of. So we're connected with an organization in Utah and one in New Jersey and that do what we do at Parents Helping Parents and we're sharing ideas and we're helping advocate on a national level to, to have more funding come down for parent recovery and resources to help families. Um, we're we're tied into something much um, beyond what we could do, you know, with the resources we have in our state.
0: Do you find it difficult with all of that? It's like the perfect formula um, to get you where you are. And there's all these amazing things happening. um, But then there's also kind of a consensus of um, there is nowhere to turn. I don't know where to go. So how do you get it out there? Um or do you i mean are you faced with parents like I had no idea that this existed?
3: That's a really good question, and all the time, and it's very frustrating, and part of it is just our bandwidth to you know we use social media we you know we get out and table at events, and we you know we're, we you know we have a presence at back to school night at the schools and we're all over you know trying to let people know about us. We pay for an ad in the newspaper of our meet. You know we just try. You know we we do find mostly it tends to be friend. You know, through word of mouth. Right. You know, people that are in the trenches within them themselves share this. And
0: you don't know you need it till you need it. Yeah. Yeah. But then still, you arrive at that place and you feel like there's, right. there's nothing, but right. there is. And yes. it's like, how do we change? that
3: we have a campaign we do with 35 of the the faith-based organizations here in norman it's called project 35 and we get our our information our schedules and our meetings out to this network of churches you know so we hope through you know we just try all these channels but it is really it's still you know and and i'll say this because this is one of my things it's always really frustrating part of our mission too is prevention we want to we want to network early on and help and support families so they don't have to get to the point that they're staring this in their home but you know so so and and it really is you know there's kind of this notion I'm just gonna pull the covers up over my head and hope for the best. But there really are some very specific tools and things we can do early on or do Mm prevention-wise. So, you know, a couple things we've done. We wrote a grant. Through United Way to um, present to the elementary school PTAs with uh, uh, some information on prevention tools and a copy of the um, the book How to Raise a Drug Free Kid, which was written by Joseph Califano Jr. It's a great book, and we 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 had a, a campaign to, to seed the the copies of those books among the PTAs so a parent would read it and pass it on to an, another parent. We Attempted to track that, you know, h- how those books were traveling. It, you know, it was interesting to stand before PTAs of elementary school parents because, of course, the mentality is not this is, kids. yeah, and this is, this is, this isn't an elementary school right. issue, but this is the really important time when it's important to lay the groundwork and plant those seeds and do those preventative you know, initiatives that are low-hanging fruit um, because by middle school, you know, the average age of first use is 12. And by middle school, which is really an age of a lot of transition, we're really behind the eight ball if we don't. So, so we have... Um, we, we, we always have, in the past, had a prevention session as one of our meetings. And, you know, I mean, not to shame our community or anyone, this is just, you know, tells you what it's like. It is always our lowest mm-hmm. attended session. It's like, you know, prevention, and I get it, there's lots of things parents are worried about and it's one of the things, but when you're on the other side of this and you you see that once this hits home, your whole life becomes easily obsessed <laughs> by what has happened. To have had some things that might have helped, um, you know, or at least early on to have identified it more and gotten some help, because it's really easy to not see what's in front of you and believe what you see. As we were talking earlier about denial, um, so so that's a real challenge because you know there's some really important tools. The other thing, and this is something we're doing through um, Partnership to End Addiction, we are really, at at, at Partnership, we are very CRAFT-based, and CRAFT stands for Community Reinforcement and Family Training. So it's an approach that is really focused on why are people resistant and how do people get resistant to making really hard, profound change. And it kind of starts with understanding substances are working for people or they wouldn't keep doing them. So, we, you know, as a parent, we're, we're kind of obsessed with telling somebody why this is bad and they shouldn't do it and it's not. But, it, you know, it's at a deeper level for the person. So starting there and understanding in their world, the substance use makes sense. So having some tools to understand why are people – how does resistance form? And, and part of it, we, we, we come at them, you know, rightly so, with just our instincts of how to parent. And we recognize we have all this resistance because the conflict is starting to be between us and them in terms of these issues. So there's a bucket of tools that the CRAFT program teaches that helps pull the conflict to be within the person themselves so they look at their own values and what they want for their life versus what's happening, and they make their own decisions about where that line is, their own cost-benefit analysis, rather than to have us come at them where you know they'll double down on resistance. So learning how to have really good conversations that are open-ended, that really mm-hmm. help people hear for themselves. Their own thoughts, work through their own thoughts and hear themselves rather than to be coming at them you know, with our lectures and all the things we tend to do. Um, that's in, in the bucket of those tools. The other thing in the bucket of those tools is understanding um, um, behaviors that are reinforced get repeated. So we get, as parents, we get very negative. Like, you know, it's the elephant in the corner of the room. All of a sudden everything's about this using behavior and the trouble our kid's in. And we neglect to recognize um, what what's reinforced gets repeated. So finding other positives that can compete with the negative behaviors, we can actually have some influence to steer them away from the negative behaviors. None of these are the magic. We don't have any magic silver bullet or one-size-fits-all, but those tools actually, you know, we, we get really mixed messages as parents. We, you hear this all the time. Oh, I guess I just need for them to hit rock bottom. Well, rock bottom could be incarceration or death. Why would we want to wait, wait for, for that? that? And and you know, or we just I just have to let go and turn my back and you know and, and, and people also think well that's the Al Anon Way. You know, I've been in Al-Anon a lot of years, and that's not what I hear in Al-Anon. What I hear in Al-Anon is focus on what you can change and control and give up on all these things that, you know, don't waste time and energy and expectations that turn into resentment on things that you can't.
0: So much of your wisdom right now is screaming at me that I can apply to my 13-year-old kids at home. Um, And what I think is profound about that is, like you were saying earlier, um, it starts so young. I mean, addiction doesn't even have to be in the picture, but these behaviors and all the reinforcement in that and the things that are in this toolbox that you don't use, you know, what leads to this road or or that road? And um, I think so many parents can learn just those basic things that you were talking about right. that we don't leave space in our in our world of parenting to implement and I'm making a mental note right now of all the things I need to do differently um, that will actually be super helpful I mean yeah to my kids but to me
3: yeah it's just better ways to have relationships but it's and, and, and it is based on you know there's some therapeutic, um, approaches behind the like motivational interviewing and things that are actually used in treatment settings, which is you know helping people to see their own stuff, and you know that's how we move people along the stages of change, and to also recognize ambivalence is totally normal. You know, people get really frustrated. Well. My son or daughter said they were going to do this, and I think they were, and now they're back to, and, and so we're all I'm mad. I'm super guilty and, right now. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> when we start to recognize, that's actually, you know, one of the stages of ch- moving towards change where we, we we have that ambivalence, that's actually a sign something good has happened if we focus on that piece and don't get frustrated by the other piece. So again, there are so many there's just some rich, wonderful tools that we can learn as families. Whether our kids, yeah, you know, it, you know, it, 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 it's, you know, it a lot of these kids, of course, it may start with some curiosity or peer pressure or whatever the reason they they take their first um, drink or drug. But you know, for some people, it just starts to throw a switch and work. And there's something that there's some kind of need that it fills and needs. And so understanding it's not just a matter of wagging a finger and saying, don't do that. It's bad for you. It's really helping that person get some other tools so they can, you know, have some ways to cope and find what, what they need that gives them wellness and, and health that they don't have to numb themselves with substances And so, um, yeah, learning learning those tools and empowering parents to have some tools to understand we can interact, we can have better, healthier relationships. We don't have to turn our back, you know, on a child that's struggling. That that's really the you know when when we think about it, they're already hurting. They're already in a bad place, and there's a level of shame and not feeling comfortable in their own skin. And so, you know, we get these messages, well, just, you know, ignore them and turn our back. That's the very thing that they're already struggling with. So, you know, and and we, um, yeah, we, we under, you know, we hear the word enabling and that's a very shame based word too cuz when we hear that as parents it's like oh we did, we did something wrong we you know and there are things we can do that can contribute to keeping somebody in their disease or in their using behavior so we want to learn what those are and learn what our own line is and really turn our attention to our own healthy boundaries you know what do we what what's our part and what do we need for us and that self-care piece, we haven't really you know, talked about too much today, but that's another part of those craft tools. It's a huge part of Parents Helping Parents, any program where we're supporting families who have been impacted. You know, we learn, because especially, you know, parents are very socialized to, we're only as happy as our least happy child. We put our own needs last. It feels very selfish to put ourselves out there and, and participate in self care. But self care is very tactical. It is very important if you're going to support a, a a child who's who's struggling, because otherwise our own stuff gets all mixed up in it. Our own guilt, our own, you know, and, and, and we're depleted. Right. And, and I so think we're what not making yeah. To
0: me is all of what you're saying, um, sounds very intentional Mm -hmm. and a lot of times anything that's intentional can be viewed as exhausting Mm -hmm. like intentional parenting right well that takes effort I mean you're parenting but intentional parenting is the next step and then like prevention you can put these things out there but there's prevention and then there's intentional right prevention and I think a lot of Parents, loved ones, and caregivers, and even the people, the person that is struggling with addiction, being intentional about their recovery is just one more level um, that might, you know, it's like a sign of, oh, I'm just going to be defeated. Right. And so what I feel like parents helping parents might really help with is coming alongside these parents with... um, intentional connection and understanding. Right. Um, it's not just a... Yeah. It's not just there. It's it's very intentional. Everything you are talking about and the work that you do is beyond just that. It, it's very intentional.
3: Right, exactly. And I think, you know, the other reason over time we've, we've stepped out and we tell our stories and we do what we do is I think we all... St- many of us started a place that we're like, well, I, you know, I did the don't do drugs and I checked that off my parental checklist and <laughs> I've done that, you know, I've done that stuff. And we don't really, um, you know, some of us have a lot of addiction in our families and we kind of have it on our radar screen. Uh-oh, there may be a, you know, a vulnerability there and an at-risk But, you know, some of us don't. I mean, we, you know, my family, we didn't really have any, you know, relatives or direct um, um, experience with this. And so I, I think a lot of us come at it like this happens to somebody else somewhere else. For sure. You know, it's not. And, and I, you know, I can see that talking to those, those elementary school PTA moms. It's like, well, we have an intact, loving family, and that, this isn't our life. This is somebody else's. And what we fail to realize, it has nothing to do with, you know, income or good families, bad families, you know, any kind of those parameters. It is an equal opportunity um, disease that hits, and and I know even when, um, you know, so, so I came at it at a point like I wasn't prepared for it. It broadsided me because I, you know, um, spending time on prevention tools just didn't seem to be a priority because I didn't appreciate the risk. And I know even, you know, in my case, when... Um, I started really, um, you know, my child actually went to treatment. And when I envisioned what treatment would be like, I I envisioned the other boys in the program. And I was really, you know, even at that point, so shocked because they were the most high-functioning, high, high intelligence, like my son, who was, who was earmarked gifted and talented from the time he was little. Sensitive artists, musicians, creative, beautiful, beautiful spirits, almost too sensitive and feeling for the world, you know. And And, you know, substances can numb some of that stuff down. So we have this idea in our mind of, oh, it's some, you know, some other family way far away. Well, the stigma. Yeah, has done that. yeah, and and we don't realize. Oh my gosh, this you know these beautiful spirits can you know this can just be a way to to numb all that down when it when it's too much and they're young trying to figure it all out and once they experience substances, it's really easy to kind of you know just kind of think this is the answer that manages all that. So, you know, it really gave me an appreciation of all our kids are at risk, high functioning kids are at risk. There isn't any, you know, child that we can say well that isn't that won't be a problem for my child. And and you know, we get that even when we hand um um our our schedules out at the the schools, you know, we get like, oh, we we don't have that problem in our you know, we get those parents that are like uh-uh. yeah, we're good and and that's okay. People are going to do what they need to do and we're there regardless. but this is just something I've learned in my own journey and and you know there's a um, there's a person in Boston he's a, a basketball former basketball player, Chris Heron. Um He has a he has a book and he has a nonprofit and he really gets out there in the schools and he talks about, and this, to me, is so powerful. He talks about the first day, the first day when somebody does substances. Because we tend to think, oh, this isn't going to be my child's problem. We think about, you know, somebody under a bridge or a homeless person or whatever. That's not my world. But we think even for those people who, you know, life really got to that point, they had a first day, at, at, you know, when they were young like like any of our kids and we just never know you know who's going to be able at some point to you know experiment and understand these things and put it aside and who's going to continue to be on a slippery slope
0: like addiction has saved a seat for everyone
3: right and it has nothing to do with bad morals or we haven't taught them our values You know, none of that. Um, When it takes hold, it will hijack their brains. And, you know, we've seen over and over people who embrace recovery, all those beautiful things that are inside them, you know, um, all come back. Recovery is just beautiful. And it is not only for our loved one. It is for us because it will, as a parent, knock you to your knees and you get up and if you really are able to brush off and be open to learning and going in a different direction and open to learning some things, it will, I mean, you wouldn't wish it on anybody, but it will enhance your, your life. You'll, you'll appreciate things that, you know, before you just kind of took for granted and really start to appreciate relationships and um, the gift of life itself is, you know, the things that we tend to just get on the hamster wheel and don't look left or right. It will, um, there's some beautiful gifts for the family about learning about ourselves, you know, holding up that mirror in front of our child and looking at ourselves and understanding better. What are our triggers? What are our, you know, what, what, what's our own journey that really gets us going. We learn all kinds of things and we develop some tools to have better relationships and to understand our, ourself more.
1: Well, thanks so much for coming in today, Anne.
3: You're welcome. It was um, great having you. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you for listening to
0: Hope Ahead. To share your story or sponsor a podcast, you can email hopeahead at thevirtuecenter.org or reach out on Instagram and Facebook.